presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focusing on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. This week, a conversation about the challenges facing journalism. Today's episode was recorded at the Gateway Film Center as part of their series, Broadcast News, Journalism on Film. The discussion features Columbus Underground's own Walker Evans, Susan Tebbin from the Ohio Capitol Journal, and Michael Omet from the American Journalism Project. They discuss the challenges facing journalism today, including the rapid changes in media outlets, the impact of the culture wars, and threats to journalists' personal lives. You can hear more discussion like this at the Gateway Film Center this Thursday evening before the screening of Divide and Conquer, the story of Roger Ailes. More information at gatewayfilmcenter.org. Enjoy the interview. Let's begin with introducing our panelists. Tell us about yourselves, why you took this class, where you're from, and, <laughs> and uh, welcome to our panelists. Go ahead. Hi, I'm Susan Tevin. I'm a reporter with the Ohio Capitol Journal. We cover the State House, um, and it's all donor-based. It's free to subscribe, you know, plug all that. Um, I took this class because I'm an OU Bobcat, and I like taking classes. My name is Walker Evans. I'm the co-founder of Columbus Underground. Uh, I'm here because we're working with the fine folks at the Gateway Film Center on this film series. Um, we started Columbus Underground uh, 20 two years ago, in 2001, mm. uh, which I always say, it's like dog years, you know? So 20 years on the internet is like a century. Uh, you have to think back before, uh, before MySpace, let alone Facebook, before Yelp. Uh, the internet was a, a barren wasteland uh, in terms of local information. So uh, we got started back then, and we're still kicking today and uh, covering all kinds of things in Columbus. Hi everyone, I'm Michael Wimet. Uh, I'm the Senior Vice President for Startups at the American Journalism Project, which is a national organization that is trying to help communities start local news organizations. Uh, I'm also a very proud board member of Signal Ohio, which as you may know, launched a newsroom in Cleveland in November. Uh, really excited to be here to talk about all things local news and information. Well, we're certainly glad to have all three of you. Thank you. And when we do get to the audience questions, just uh, let me know. I'll come up with, uh, with the microphone so everybody can hear your question. But just to start it out, I was thinking about this. And right now, with the constantly changing nature of journalistic outlets, as well as the inclusion of, of the press and members of the press in the culture wars, can you imagine a, a more complicated time right now for, for journalism in general? I don't want to. Uh, no, you're right. It's, it's definitely changed. Uh, I was a print journalist. I came out of OU as a print journalist. Uh, when, we, when I left, we were told to you know, do whatever you could for a job. Uh, when I started as a freshman, they said, you can specialize. You can figure that out. But, so it, it changed in the span of four years. But uh, it's changed leaps and bounds since then. Like I said, with the Ohio Capital Journal is completely online. Um, that's something that even the Ohio uh, Legislative Correspondents Association, which is the group of reporters that cover the State House, had never seen before. So we had to sort of make our case for why we were legitimate uh, when we started at the State House. Um, 
but you know we're all just trying to adapt and we're all reporters that are just trying to get the news out and inform the public so uh, it, we just have to figure out how to adapt I guess yeah um, you mentioned the culture wars thing. Which, yeah. Uh, what a loaded question. <laughs> uh, softball. Uh, uh, the culture wars are fake. It's fake. It's all just uh, distraction from more important things in our lives, right? Uh, it's an invention of uh, like right wing media to like make everyone think that transgender athletes are coming for your children, mm -hmm. when in reality we should be talking about the economy. You know, and the fact that everything's more expensive and like real, real things. So uh, it's a problem for journalists who want to relay real information because you have to cut through this idea that, you know, uh, oh, now it's gas stoves. Mm -hmm. Gas stoves are coming for your children. You know, like uh, it, it's hard if you really want to inform people when you have to first uninform them about things that mainstream media has beat into their brain as being important when it really has nothing to do with their daily lives. Right. Yeah. Did that answer your question? I don't know. <laughs> no, those are, those are important points. But also, I was thinking about you know, the threats to, to personal, you know, to lives of, of reporters when they're called the enemy of the people. Yeah. Right. I well, think go ahead. The part of it is, um, I guess this is sort of a soapbox. Um, the mainstream media, that, that idea that that is just this giant cloud of things, I hate that because it's like the capital M media where you have Columbus Underground, you have all these different people that are hyper-local journalists just doing jobs and in Signal Cleveland, doing jobs to inform the public and have had to adapt to make that hyper-local thing work. And then what happens is people say, well, the media is doing this and the media can be movies, can be, you know, cartoons, anything. So. It's really hard when you're out there, yeah, getting screamed at and getting you know put in pens and things, right? Because you're being lumped into this stereotype, basically, uh, when you're just journalists trying to you know do what you can to inform the public. And I think so much of that too is because there's myopic focus on the national media. On you know, when you ask people about their experience with news, their brain goes to cable TV automatically as opposed to kind of real local journalism about things that are happening in your communities day to day. So it's really frustrating that that's your experience with the media, given that the media they're talking about actually has absolutely nothing to do with anyone who works here in Ohio. Right. Can we get, uh, get the audience involved? Who has a question? Don't be shy. We answered them all. <laughs> Sometimes things that are hot aren't the culture wars. And I think an interesting time is always an interesting time. So um, House Bill 61 slash trials in the state of Ohio. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> I think it's interesting how you put that, is, is some things that are hot are not always culture wars. But this stuff is, you know, as you say, we have Householder up for trial, which, yes, sure, that is a big deal. And, he sh and you know, Everything that had to do with First Energy, that's all very important because it matters to people paying their electric bills and whether they're actually paying bills on. But I cover the non-controversial issues of abortion and education <laughs> and all these things. So, so you know, it, it's hard to get bogged down in that stuff because, yes, that in the we were uh, audience member and I were talking about the Pike County murders. 
this all this is all very interesting and all very flashy and stuff, but what it boils down to is how much does this affect you know our electric bills? How much does this affect? So the journalists that are out there doing that, yes, the people that are covering the trials, that's amazing, and we need that stuff because accountability is a thing that we all should have, including in the legislature. But um, covering it in a way that you know people in Highland County, people in Noble County can say, what is this going to do to my everyday life is also the important parts of what we do as journalists. Yeah, I, I think uh, today, whether it's TV, radio, print, digital, it's all about measuring analytics. And, and what's popular isn't always important, and what's important isn't always popular. And while the householder trial is an incredibly popular story this week, the coverage that more people maybe should have been paying attention to two, three, four, five, however many years ago, um, was probably more important, but wasn't as sensational. So now we're in the situation where you've got to cover this stuff while it's sensational, uh, and, and everybody wants this information. And it's like, maybe, maybe we could have avoided this situation if people were paying more attention to what reporters were trying to tell you years ago. So it's, it's, this, uh, it's, it's a catch-22 to, to some degree. Well, well, I also think it's about journalistic resources, too, to some, in some regards. You know, there's, it's got to be what a... 80% decline in the number of, of journalists covering state government and state house in the last couple, couple of decades. So, you know, your, your, your team before, you know, has got a lot, has got a lot, we're asking a lot of you all. So yeah. I think uh, it, it's, it's partially, you know, what are people paying attention to, but also how many people are devoted to telling stories in advance before it becomes the sensational headline. Yeah. I, I spoke on a panel earlier today over at OSU. Uh, but this this one is my favorite panel. They they were they were the warm up. You guys are the real deal. Yeah. Um, but one of the other panelists works for the Dispatch and covers K through 12 education. And I asked her if she has if she's the only person. And she said, Well, I had a colleague, but they were just let go. So the Dispatch has one person writing about school, not just Columbus City Schools, but all suburban schools. We have one person assigned to that at the dispatch. That's like that's where we are in terms of resources right now from our from our major, you know, publication. Yeah, and then it comes down to news judgment, right? Of you know, we only have so many people to cover these things. What do we need to cover? What do people actually need to know about uh -huh. to be able to do this stuff? And you know, it's not always the things that are most popular. <laughs> sure. Other questions? Run, George, run. He's yes. getting his steps in. <laughs> getting him in. Sorry. That's all right. Uh, good evening. Um, it seems like a lot of outlets, in order so that they don't seem biased, are trying to kind of bend over backwards to tell the both sides, even if you know one side says water's wet, they're scouring to see the, no, not really. In your opinions, how important is it to try and give the whole picture in things where it seems fairly obvious that one side is right on, the other side is just kind of bullshitting. And also, you know, where do you fall on that where, you know, do you call it out or do you try and remain objective, but still, you, you know, it seems fairly obvious that, you know, one side's telling the truth, the other side's just kind of messing around. Uh, I had a professor in at OU. Oh, yeah. Um, that's the last time I'll say it, I promise. Uh, 
that said if you're if they're not hacked off you're not doing your job and he didn't specify which side he just said if they're not hacked off you're not doing your job so that's always how I've run things and I've always um, I've gotten this question a lot and it's a really good question because we have to deal with a lot of you know obviously journalists we have feelings about things um, and we have to sometimes suppress those things and sometimes it, it, it helps inform our questions and things like that but at the same time the way I see it is if if I don't tell you what someone on the other side of abortion is saying whichever side you fall on you're not going to know what they're saying and in that way you're not going to know you know how to go about the argument the other way and and people that are looking at policies and looking at how to, you know, I'm not saying that I'm important enough that people are reading my stuff thinking how they're gonna testify on a bill, but like, if you're looking at that stuff, you're gonna know this is the argument that they're making, this is how I can disprove it if, if that's what you can do. So I've always seen it kind of that way rather than I need to have, I, obviously I was trained to have both sides because both sides are important, but I see it as more of a sports game kind of thing, a defensive move, I guess, than I do, you know, having to have 50-50 ready to go. That kind of thing. Yeah. We don't do as much political writing. We do republish a lot of the Ohio Capital Journal stuff uh, to, to, you know, let the experts, you know, do, do their thing and, and share what they do, the, the great work that they do. But, um, you know, we, we try to stay pretty objective and just write about things that are happening. Um, we do sometimes catch a little bit of flack that we're not presenting it from an angle because I think everybody nowadays wants to see their own opinion kind of regurgitated back to them. And a really good example of that is the, the very fresh news yesterday that the beer stube across the street might be going away. I don't know if everyone heard about that or not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if you read our story, it's sort of the who, what, when, where, why. This is who owns it. This is what's happening. This is the proposal. This is the history, this is what it is. And we, we often see comments that say like, you guys should start a petition to save the, and it's like, that's not our place to do that, you know, but, but people do want to put those kind of like both siderism, like if you're not doing this, you're not doing that. If you fall in the middle somewhere, you're not doing enough for my cause. Um, but at the end of the day, I think all of us just wanna inform people so they can make their own decisions on those things. I think fundamentally, the, what's underneath the question is how do you build trust? And I think, uh, you know, kind of telling people things that aren't true is not a way to build trust. Um, so I think it's it's it, you, we do want to tell the complete story, but I think you know saying that water is what is telling the complete story. So I think you gotta sometimes just know what facts are and be unapologetic about that. That's a good question, and thank you for reminding me what a good phrase "hacked off" is. <laughs> I'll try to use that some more. It's so applicable. <laughs> Who else has a question? Hi, my name's uh, Jason Manley, and uh, I appreciate you guys coming to talk. Um, sorry, I'm a little nervous. Um, what you guys have been addressing is sort of like the blending of editorial and news, and that has sort of happened in my lifetime. Um, this movie came out the week I was born, basically. Uh, in 1976, so so like in my lifetime, I've seen like cable news come to, you know, the fore, and I'm just curious, like, it, well, you kind of already addressed it, but how do you fight those impulses to editorialize when you're just trying to tell the who, what, when, where, why? 
I think just being transparent about that is the most important thing. I just, right before we came over to this event, I published an opinion piece. And if you go to Columbus Underground and read it, which I encourage everybody to go to, <laughs> uh, it says right up front, opinion, colon, and the headline. You know, So you know that this is my thoughts on this topic. And it's a topic that we've covered. Uh, I don't want to spoil it. Uh, <laughs> go read it. Uh, but just letting people know like what's what's editorialized, what's what's factual. I think that goes a long way toward building reader trust and letting people know what's what's what. If this is an advertisement, it's an advertisement. If it's not, it's not. Like mm -hmm. just just spell it out and be transparent, be honest. Yeah, Ohio Capital Journal, we have an editor who writes the commentaries. He does all of OhioCapitalJournal.com. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and on that website it'll say commentary. And he, he does them all, and he, um, you know, we have a small staff, so sometimes he has to write articles, but it's very clear it says commentary, and he's the only one that does commentaries. Uh, I don't, and uh, part of our, the Ohio Capital Journal is owned by a, a donor-based company, so we don't, the reporters themselves don't see the donors that are a part, whoever's donating, because we don't want that to impact what we're doing. So. I think that helps partly, I, you know, I'm not saying it's not hard, we all have opinions. Um, there are certain elements I'm, you know, looking at something and if I know something about it or I have an opinion about it, that might make me want to report on it more, but I have to do that self, you know, check of what am I writing and how am I writing it. Um, but the bottom line is keeping that editorial stuff separate in a separate column of the website helps and not knowing, you know, who's supporting us, who's not supporting us, that helps too. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Had a question here? And this was your first time at the Gateway, right? Yes. Well, I'm welcome. Those people, it's here for the first time. Um, this is a local news question. I worked for a small local newspaper in Madison County, just west of here. It went out of business. It was purchased by a big corporation out of McAllen, Texas, AIM Corporation, and it wasn't making enough money, or wasn't making any money, I guess. What advice do you give for people who might want to restart a local? Some sort of a note, I mean, we hear endless complaints about the fact that we have no local newspaper in the county now. And it, it, it's a real problem, because we have no idea what the county commissioners are doing. We have no idea what mm. the uh, city councils and the village councils and all the little villages around the county are doing. Um, what, what Do you advise an online newspaper? And, and how do you go about starting something like that? That's a, that's a big question. Um, so uh, first of all, I would love to personally connect with anyone in Ohio who is asking that question. <laughs> Michael at the AJP.org. Send them over to Tom Katzenmeyer as, as well, who's sitting in the, in the, in the first row. Um, couple, couple points. Uh, started as a nonprofit rather than a for-profit. Uh, the commercial business model for local news has, has failed us. Uh, we need to admit that local news is a public good and should be supported philanthropically. Uh, that's the most important thing. Uh, yes, start it as a, as a digital organization. Uh, kind of daily print by default is, is over. There's a great place for uh, certain types of, of print, certainly. But uh, starting it digitally helps keep your, your costs down. Um, and you know, I think uh, fundamentally, 
you've got to make a really great case for support to, to philanthropy, to uh, whether it's your, your local community foundation or uh, a couple donors who are willing to, to step up and, and help get something started, that uh, this is something that's really important. Um, finally, I, I would also point to, especially in kind of the, the case you're describing, we have a, a program in, in Signal Cleveland called the Documenters Program. That's a program that trains and pays residents to go to government meetings and take notes. Uh, what that does is it, it has a, a person, you know, almost always the only person from a, a news outlet in a meeting, uh, and then those notes are publicly available for other news outlets who might want to use the information or uh, for community members who just want to know what's going on. So there, there are really exciting models for this, and, and I think uh, we're going to get more journalism in, in your area uh, soon enough. Yeah, that speaks to, I don't have any business acumen on that, but um, the community part of it, the partnership part of it, like we, the Ohio Capital Journal has a Creative Commons license, so unlike like your AP where the, the, any paper that uses the AP has to pay for the subscription to use it, we have a Creative Commons license where any paper in any county anywhere can use our stuff as long as it's attributed and you don't have to pay for it, it's just there to use, that's why Columbus Underground can use it. So. I feel like there needs to be systems like that too, where we have people covering specific things, as you said, to that are you know that have the experience. They're journalists. They're perfectly adequate at what they do. Um, but being able to share that stuff to other places in you know rural Ohio or wherever, to be able to use that stuff rather than you know taking more of their resources just to be able to get people information from places that they don't live around. Yeah, I, I, I agree with what was said. Um, I think one thing that a lot of organizations, especially in smaller communities, are kind of realizing is that um, building email subscribers, whether that's a newsletter or just a mailing list, uh, is so much more critical to reaching an audience that opts in, you know, people who want to receive this kind of information. I think we were all kind of sold a false bill of goods with social media, 10, 12, 15 years ago. Um, if you're trying to build a Facebook audience today, you might as well just be, you know, watching paint dry. <laughs> uh, the, the, these platforms are kind of the new gatekeepers to build an audience and then get to your audience through. So uh, email kind of seems to be the way to go, the sort of like newsletter uh, types of formats. So that you, when you publish a story and you send it to your audience, they receive it rather than having Facebook say, we need you to pay a thousand dollars to reach the audience you've built, or you know, and that goes for Twitter. That goes for anything algorithmically based to reach an audience is is kind of a non-starter, especially in a small community. So, so started as a non-profit weekly newsletter. Okay. Bingo. Great. Got time for got time for another question. Um, I was wondering where you see um, long form and particularly investigative journalism going um, just with the speed of our world and uh, attention spans and all that, if you're seeing that any sort of shifts um, toward longer form or anything like that? I, I think we're, we're seeing shifts the, the opposite way. I think there's certainly, uh, you know, movies like, like this certainly uh, have, have celebrated the, the important role of investigative journalism, but I think, uh, you know, communities have daily, weekly, monthly, you know, information needs that uh, are far more important in, in many cases than, than long-form investigations. So I think 
uh, what, what you're seeing is, is journalists really, um, you know, understand that the depth and, and, and accuracy and nuance is really important, but, um, you know, taking, you know, six months to kind of hide and then come out with a, a massive spotlight story is, uh, you know, probably a, a model that, that's old. Um, I actually had the, uh, the, the fortune of meeting the, the team from uh, the Boston Globe that, you know, was featured in the Spotlight movie, and uh, I was really taken aback when they said if they were doing that work today, they would have broken that up into 12 different stories. So I think the, the, the high quality reporting that goes into investigations is, is critical, but perhaps um, there are better ways to distribute that than you know, 10,000 word, word stories that we don't always have, have time to read. I'm a writer, so I'm gonna say every word is important. <laughs> uh, I, I would agree, you know, we, we uh, obviously with the resources, we all have certain things we have to do. We have to fill a new nonprofit newsletter and all that. Um, but you do see the Atlantic, you see, you know, the New Yorker, you see those, those sort of, I don't want to say niche areas, but certain areas that people are looking for long form, you know, when they have time to read it, they, they will read it. Uh, and I think those are beneficial, you know, we can't do them all the time. We don't have the resources or the time to do them all the time, but when we can do them right, I think they really stand to be something important. Yeah. I I think, you know, as, as much as people say that attention spans are getting shorter, you're, you're all here tonight, right? Uh, it's, it's really just the extremes are being pushed further to both spectrums. So you've got people on TikTok just doom scrolling from the toilet or whatever. You, I don't use TikTok. I don't know where you're supposed to sit. Uh, but on the opposite side of the spectrum, there are so many podcasts. There are YouTube channels with videos that go on for hours about really specific topics. I think the challenge is getting people interested in something. Like once, once you capture their attention, they'll, they'll watch something for, for hours. Um, there's a, an OSU graduate who is in Los Angeles, and I hope we can get him for a future uh, uh, session at this quarterly series, um, who does a YouTube channel called Some More News. Has anyone heard of Some More News? Yeah. Uh, did you know he was from OSU? Oh, there you go. Um, learn something new every day. Uh, their shows are like an hour long, and they do podcast supplements for that, but it's, it's long-form content, like deep dives into topics. I think the most recent episode, I've only listened to half of it, was about um, why rents are so high, like what's wrong with the housing market in America. Um, so I think there's an appetite for that, and this is a channel that has like 750,000 you know, followers, and their videos get millions of views uh, with every pu publication. So. There's a market for long-form stuff. I think it's just getting more people to consume it is the, the challenge. And making sure it's authentic. Right, yeah. right. Well, we're getting ready to see uh, all the president's men. You mentioned Spotlight, another Oscar winner. There was one just last year, uh, She Said, which was a fantastic movie about uh, journalistic uh, investigative reporters that was just forgotten about. Really quickly, let's close with, how do you feel about the representation of journalism in pop culture, movies, TV? Things like that. Oh, um, <laughs> things tend to work out in movies that don't always work out in journalism. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I sp this one particularly, I watched it this afternoon just to reacquaint myself. And um, it was, it feels authentic. It feels like an obser observation of, you know, what, what hard work they had to do, especially when you didn't have Google. 
um, to do all of those things and rotary phones. Or, or ch chat GBT. Oh, right, exactly. <laughs> Slack, all those things. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like anything else. I think there's exaggerations, but there's also Spotlight, I felt like, was really authentic, you know, the knocking on doors and all that stuff. We actually do do that stuff. <laughs> I was trying to think of the last movie we watched that had like some sort of news media representation, and the first thing that came to mind was Don't Look Up. Oh. The, yeah. uh, <laughs> I was thinking of Anchorman, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which wasn't, I mean, uh, I guess neither of those were like a pleasant representation, but um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, you know, when you look at uh, people's uh, ability to consume news across so many spectrums of. Uh, platforms and and you know different you know forms of content. Um, I feel better you know that there are so many options. I think it's just getting people connected to the right options is still just the the biggest the biggest challenge. Yeah, I I think uh, what what I reflect on is just how how lucky we are to have the the local news that that we do have. You 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 two um, especially. And you know, the, hearing about the kind of one K through 12 education reporter at the dispatch as, as an example, I think with all of the uh, economic challenges in the industry, we have trained a generation of, of people that journalism is not a, a craft, a profession to pursue. Uh, so I feel great that there are representations in media that do celebrate the, the great work of, of, uh, of working journalists, and I hope we, we get more. Well, we've got one of the best tonight. In 35 millimeter, we'll have all the president's men here in just a few minutes. Thank you for coming. Let's thank our panelists, Susan and Walker and Michael, for some very insightful uh, answers and some great questions from the crowd. So thank you very much for coming out tonight and stand by for all the president's men. And thank you to Chris Hamill and the Gateway for making this possible. Thank you for listening to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. You can get more information on what was discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, share, subscribe this episode of the Confluence Cast with your friends, family, contacts, enemies, your favorite journalist. If you're interested in sponsoring the Confluence Cast, get in touch with us. We can be reached by email at info at theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. Our producer is Philip Cogley. Special thanks this week to the Gateway Film Center. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a great week.